last week, you guys, uh, we started the book of James as a ministry, but uh, how many of you are, were here third service last week and you did not hear the beginning of the book of James? Yeah, so um, you guys got to listen to a pretty awesome message, honestly. It was so neat to just hear from uh, Pastor Joseph about, you know, his experience growing up in uh, Soviet Russia or Ukraine, really, but just the, man, his bold witness for Jesus was awesome to learn about. But we started the book of James, uh, chapter 1 last week. We went through, Pastor Joel taught through verse 1 through 11. Today, we are going to be looking at James 1, 12 through 18. There is no real title of today's message, but if you wanted to give it a title for uh, the sake of your note-taking, uh, you could just title it Temptation, because that's really what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about Temptation. Um, and before we just jump in and start reading, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Uh, God, we, we do thank you for this afternoon. And God, just with how you've blessed us, Lord, we just pause for a moment and recognize, Lord, that you are so good to us, Lord, and you love us with a perfect love, God. And we, Lord, we're undeserving of your love. We're undeserving of your mercy and your grace, and yet you bestow it upon us day by day. And Lord, as we come before your word right now, Lord, may we recognize just we're not just opening up any old book, Lord. We're opening up the, the living word of God, which is alive. So God, may we be humbled by that. May we also be excited to hear what your word has to say. Lord, may your spirit just uh, speak so clearly today. Lord, and may we take these things and apply it to our lives. Lord, may we uh, bear the fruits of righteousness as we walk out of this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was mentioning, uh, Pastor Joel, he started the book of James last week. And last week, since most of you weren't here, I'll tell you, uh, we started looking at, in James 1, uh, what's called trials. You guys ever heard of trials before? It's a very Christianese type word, right? We use it all the time in the church. Um, and trials are something that uh, James, earlier and in James, he addresses head on and talks about how we're to handle going through trials. And, uh, you know, trials are, they're basically difficult circumstances. They're, you could say that a trial is a type of adversity or affliction or trouble, external circumstance that is used by God. Christina, can we go to the next slide? Please, thank you. Um, so if you're taking notes, I, I put a lot of stuff on the PowerPoint. Uh, just try and write down what you think is important, you know, not, not, not necessarily every single word. Uh, but last week we dove in depth, uh, well, some of you dove in depth with, uh, with us in first and second service um, into what trials are. And trials are something that we find ourselves going through in our lives as we seek to live for Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at trials, well, we're going to be looking at temptation and how temptation is different from trials, but also connected to. And I want to talk to you about that uh, for a moment right now. So like I said, a trial is a type of adversity, affliction, trouble, just a, you could even just narrow it down to just like a difficult circumstance that you might be walking through. But the thing about trials is God uses trials to test us, to refine us. Have you guys ever heard that word refine? Anybody? Yeah? The word is, in the biblical sense has to do with uh, how they would take precious metals, like let's say gold or silver, right? They'd put it in a boiling pot. They would heat it up to such a hot temperature that uh, the, the metal would actually then become liquid and they would keep boiling it until the point where all the, what are called infirmities, all the, the uh, impurities uh, would float to the top of the boiling metal and you could actually scrape off the, the nasty stuff, you know, the stuff that shouldn't be in the metal. And what you would be left with is you would be left with an even more pure and nice version of that metal once it's solidified once again. And that's kind of the idea with trials is trials are, uh, it's like God is allowing the heat to be turned up on our boiling pots for a bit, right? The, the heat is turned up and all the, the stuff that is deep within us that we don't even know that is, uh, you know, the sins and the 
just the struggles and the things that shouldn't be in our heart, it's like it floats to the surface when we're in a trial and God is able to just scrape it off and remove it from our hearts. Does that kind of make sense how trials, how that kind of works? Yeah? I need some like head nods. I need something. I need yeses. I need, yeah. Okay. Head nods, they do the trick. As long as I know you guys are tracking with me, I want to make sure. But trials, they're these outward circumstances. That's like the, for me, that's like the easiest way to remember the difference between a trial and a temptation is trials. They're not always outward, but they are oftentimes, more often than not, uh, they're these outward circumstances that challenge us. So that's what we talked about last week. Kind of brought you guys up to speed very quickly. Uh, but today we're going to be focusing on the bottom part of the slide, which is temptation. Which a temptation, the way that it is different from a trial, is a temptation, excuse me, a temptation is an enticement to sin against God. So you could be going through a trial and not necessarily be tempted, but you could go through a trial and be tempted. That's very possible. But a temptation in and of itself is an enticement to sin against God. Temptation, as we're going to learn uh, throughout today's message, is this inward desire that leads to sin. So the, the difference, the contrast of trials and temptations, trials most often are outward, temptations are always inward. And that is something that we need to make sure that we understand today is that temptations are inward. Um, so like the example of what a trial versus a temptation could look like. And the reason why I say that they're connected is think about it like this. And I'm going to use an example and hopefully it's not the situation you find yourself in, but it's very possible. I know we have many students who are, uh, go through this in their time in junior high um, is let's say you are walking through a trial and that trial is your parents are getting a divorce. It happens. It's a reality. And it's not easy. It's actually very, very difficult. And you might be walking through this trial, right? And you're having a very hard time with it, but God can use it to actually make you more like Jesus. That can happen. God can use really any trial you walk through. But let's say that you're walking through this trial and then within the trial, there are these temptations. Let's say that uh, temptation is, you know, your parents, you're not happy with the way that they're handling things. And so you're tempted to just be the most disrespectful little snot towards them uh, through this trial that you're walking through. Do you guys see how you can go through a trial and there can be temptations within the trial that would cause you to sin? You get what I'm saying? Give me some head nods if you're tracking. Yeah. All right. Good. So. That is how the two are connected. But you could also go through a trial and not necessarily have temptation or give in to temptation. So that's kind of the difference there. But as we have been doing for a while now, a couple months, I want to say, since back in Nehemiah, uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word as we dive into our main text today. Stand on up. And we will look in our Bibles to James chapter 1. Look down in your Bibles with me in verse 12 is where we're going to start. And we'll go through verse 15. It says, Blessed is a man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Verse 15, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. You may be seated. So if you are taking notes today in our uh, study into what temptation is and where it comes from, our first kind of main point is temptation. And then our first sub point under the umbrella of temptation is point A or point whatever you want to do, bullet point, is the origin of temptation. The origin of temptation. You could go ahead and jot that down. 
You guys familiar what, with what I mean when I say origin? If you're not, the definition of origin is on the screen. The idea of an origin is it is the place or point where something starts or where something begins. And so essentially, when we say the origin of temptation, the question that we're asking ourselves is, where does temptation begin? Where does temptation come from? Where is the point or place where temptation comes from? And it's a good question, and we, it's, it's actually vital that we understand where it does come from, because James, he sets the record straight. In verse 13, we just read it a moment ago, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. And so James, he comes out in verse 1, and he says, don't think for a minute, that's essentially the idea of what he's saying, let no one say, don't think for a minute that temptation comes from God. Now, trials, you might find yourself in a trial because you made a bunch of bad decisions and, you know, you're walking through a difficult circumstance that you got yourself into. There's also trials that are simply a result of just living in a fallen world, like a, a child has cancer and the family is walking through the child or the, the trial with their child being sick. Like that's just a, that's a trial that's just a result of living in a, a fallen world, which is unfortunate, but it's a reality. But then there are also these trials that God will put us through. Um, I think back in my life a couple years ago, I'm convinced that God intentionally put me in a trial so that I would draw closer unto him. I, I was working as a teacher at the time, and it was my first teaching job, and things were going great. And um, it, was, it was awesome because I, I had just gotten engaged with my wife, Christina, back there. We were uh, just engaged at the time. And then I, I, lost, I lost my job. I didn't do anything to lose my job. They just simply cut the program that I was working for. And I was, it was such a struggle for me because, you know, we had gotten engaged shortly before that, a handful of months before that, and we were committed, like we had already paid for some stuff for the wedding and whatnot. And then I go and my job, I find out, is not going to be renewed for the following school year. And so I was in this trial uh, where, yes, there were temptations within the trial, but this was a trial that I would say that God put me in and ultimately brought me closer to Jesus. And I'm thankful for it looking back. It wasn't easy at the time, nor is any trial easy at the time you're going through it. But it was beneficial in that I became a little bit more like Jesus. And that's what trials do. But what James is clearing up here is he says, though there may be trials that do come from God, don't think that temptation comes from God. And we need to understand this because what we often do as humans is we want to blame other people, right? We want to blame other people for our own actions. And when it comes to temptation, our initial response most of the time is like, yeah, that's God, the one who tempted me or Satan tempted me. Now, Satan can kind of entice you and like uh, put things in front of you, uh, trying to get you to go after them. But what James says is don't think for a minute that you are tempted by God. And the reason why he tells us this is because we're inclined to think that. We're inclined to blame God for uh, the temptation that we're facing or giving into. But the other thing that we see in the beginning of these handful of words in verse 13, when he says, when he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, is James uses what's called a presupposition. You guys familiar with that word? No, I'm hardly familiar with it either. But let me tell you what it means. Presupposition is basically an intentional assumption that is made when making an argument. So James says this. He says, let no one say when he is tempted. You guys notice that word when he is tempted? If I were to change the statement and say, let no one say if he is tempted, does that, does that statement now have a different meaning? It does, right? So James uses a presupposition when he says, let no one say when he is tempted, which tells us, what does it tell us? It tells us that we are all tempted. It tells us that you have, since you became a Christian and even prior to, you just were unaware of it, you have experienced temptation. I would even go as far as to say on a daily basis, you are tempted. We are all tempted. It doesn't necessarily mean that 
I'm tempted in the exact same ways that you are tempted, you know, and you're tempted in the exact same ways I'm tempted. It could be that we share in some temptations, but we are all tempted. And remember what temptation is. It's an enticement to sin against God. So we must make it clear in our hearts that, and in our minds, really, that temptation does not come from God. And Hebrews, uh, you know, what I love about this aspect of temptation, I don't love temptation, I hate temptation. But what I love is the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every single way that you and I were tempted. I don't know if you guys have ever read in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan is uh, tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted. And yet we read how Jesus resisted the temptation and did not give in to sin. And in Hebrews 4, 15, it talks about how Jesus was tempted in every point as we are, and yet he is without sin. But the verse I want to read to you from Hebrews 2 is Hebrews 2.18, listen to this. It says, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And so this should comfort us because what Hebrews is saying here, Hebrews chapter 2.18, says that we should find comfort in the fact that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted, and yet he didn't sin. And because of that, he is able to help us when we are tempted. You guys get what I'm saying by that? Because Jesus went through it all, because he was tempted in all points as we are, but because he did not sin, unlike us who do sin, he is able to be our help in that time of need when we cry out to God. James, back in verse 13, he goes on to say, he says, for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he himself tempt anyone. So James says, you know, don't think for a minute that God is the one who tempts because, he says, God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And this is important for us to stand because God's relation to the origin of temptation, you know what it is? It's that he has no relation to the origin of temptation. He is perfectly holy. He is perfectly good and sinless. He is not related to temptation. The only relation he might have with temptation or he does have with temptation is that he always gives us the way out of it, as we'll go on to learn later. But as far as the origin of temptation and where it comes from, does it come from God? Show me you're listening. It does not come from God. The answer is no, it does not come from God. 1 John 1.5, a great verse to make sure we understand, it says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What that verse is essentially saying there at the bottom is that God is incompatible with anything that is evil. With anything that is sin, God is not of that. It, he is not tempted by that sin. He does not send the temptation for that sin, anything that is evil, God is incompatible with. They, it cannot mix. God is perfectly holy. He is perfectly good. And James, he, you know, it's like by process of elimination, James says, okay, don't think temptation comes from God. And so we think like, okay, so where does it come from, James? And what does James go on to say? He says that temptation comes from within us from within our sinful selves. He says that when we are tempted, what does he say? He says, we're drawn away by our own desires and enticed. We are drawn away from our own desires and enticed. Meaning he makes it very clear that temptation comes from within us. How many of you guys are, uh, I should ask, how many of you have ever gone fishing? Anybody ever gone fishing? How many of you guys like, like fishing? I like fishing. I like going from time to time. Uh, in fishing, you guys, when you're trying to catch a fish, depending on the kind of fish, you might use something different, but uh, you'll use these things what are called lures. You guys ever heard of those before? Lures can be these you know, shiny objects, plastic, metal, whatever, uh, but basically they are created with the intention of getting the fish's attention, to get the fish to see it and be like, oh, I want that. 
right? Or, you know, in fishing, you can also use live bait, uh, a worm or another small fish. Uh, but the idea is, is James is actually using fishing terms here in uh, verse 14. He says that we're drawn away. The idea of drawn away is it's like that lure on the end of the fishing line, that, that shiny, spinny object that, you know, the light hitting the water reflects off of this object in the water. The, the fish sees it and it's like, oh, I want that, right? That's the idea that we're given here. And then the enticement is the idea of the fish going after the lure only to find out that what's on the lure, the hook, right? And then they're pulled up to their doom, but that's the idea that James gives us here is that when we are tempted, we are drawn away by our own desires. We are enticed by our own desires. I love what Jerry Bridges in a, a really good book called The Pursuit of Holiness. If you guys are into reading or even if you're not into reading, I still recommend the book. But he says we may think we merely respond to outward temptations that are presented to us. But the truth is, our evil desires are constantly searching out temptations to satisfy their insatiable. The word insatiable is unsatisfiable. You could think of it like that. Their insatiable lusts. Jerry Bridges said that in his book, Pursuit of Holiness. And the idea of what Jerry Bridges is saying here and really what the Bible teaches is that our evil desires, you guys, are, it's like they're constantly looking for ways that they can satisfy themselves. But the reality is, is that they can't satisfy themselves because they're unsatisfiable. You get what I'm saying? They're unsatisfiable. There's nothing that you can run after that is sinful in the world that will truly satisfy you. And I want you to hear me on this. If you're tuning me out, pay attention to this part. You don't have to learn the hard way that what the world has to offer you the sinful things that it tries to get you to go after. You don't have to learn the hard way that those things are empty and are going to leave you broken and in a, such a low place you didn't even know was possible. And that's because these things that the world offers, they offer you no value. They can't satisfy you. But what can satisfy you is the Lord himself. But our evil desires, you guys, are always looking for that which is sinful. That's the idea that we get here. Now, in the Bible, we see this doctrine kind of taught throughout the Bible from the very beginning in Genesis, uh, kind of through the end in Revelation. And it's the doctrine of what we call total depravity. Now, I want to be clear on something. This is like a talking point of those who are Calvinists. Um, I don't know if you guys even know what Calvinism is, uh, but basically I want to make it clear that though I am talking about total depravity because it is biblical. I'm not a Calvinist, uh, nor is the stance that this church takes uh, that one of Calvinism. But I want to be clear that the doctrine of total depravity is basically the idea that all of us are sinners and that we're born sinners and that we have within us what is called a sinful nature. Romans says uh, in chapter three that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's the idea of total depravity is that we're all sinners and we have this sinful nature within us that wants to go after the sins that the world, you know, tries to get us entangled in and the, the sinful desires that stem from within are always looking for these ways that they can fulfill themselves. But what we need to recognize is that we have this sinful nature, but we're not victims to our sinful nature. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. I want you to actually turn there as I do the same. Romans chapter 7. <clears throat> and then look with me at verse 15. Earlier on in Romans, Paul talks about what we're talking about, the sinful nature, the sinful flesh that we have within us. He refers to it as the old man or the body of sin. Uh, these are the terms that he kind of uses. But in Romans 7, verse 15, do your best to track with me as I read this. This passage can sound confusing as it is read and as it is heard, but it's actually not as confusing as it, as it sounds or looks. 
So we'll talk about it afterwards, but track with me as we read this in verse 15. It's also on the screens for you. Paul says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do. Here we go. (laughs) This is where it starts to get hard to follow. He says, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present within me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do... It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Jump with me down to verse 24 in your Bibles. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he goes on to say, verse 25, the best part. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, like I said, if you're just looking at that verse, it can seem somewhat confusing. It could seem like Paul is having this like back and forth conversation with himself. And he kind of is in a sense. But what Paul is talking about is actually the struggle that you and I walk with on a day to day basis. Right. What is that struggle? Well, God has called us to live a holy life. Right. God has called us to live a life where we where we do the things that God says are right, where we obey his commandments, where we don't do the things that uh, God says not to do, right? Where we're seeking to honor God in all that we do. And Paul says, you know, I have this desire and you and I, we have this desire to do what is right, but how to actually do what's right, we find that we struggle in actually doing it, right? I remember, this is just not even my notes, but I remember attending church in like high school and like even sometimes to this day like I learned something I'm like man I want to apply this to my life I'm so excited to like you know for tomorrow to come and uh, live this thing out and then uh, you know tomorrow comes and there's the struggle right there's the struggle of taking what you learned and actually applying it to your life and that's kind of what Paul's talking about he says you know I have this desire to do what's right but I don't know how to do what's right and it all sounds super hopeless, right? It all sounds like, man, well, how are we even supposed to live for God if this is true? But he goes on to say, if there were no verse 24 and verse 25, this would be a very hopeless verse. But there is a verse 24 and a verse 25. He says, he asks that question, who will deliver me from this body of death? From his sinful nature is the idea to which he answers his own question in verse 25. And he says, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now you see, we have this sinful nature within us, you guys. We have this old man, this body of death, Paul refers to it as, that wants to go after the things that are sinful, that wants to go after the things that do not honor God. It still exists within us, yet God has given us the victory over our sinful nature through what he did on the cross. We have victory over sin because Jesus Christ defeated sin once for all at the cross. He paid the penalty for sin, and because of what he did in paying the penalty for sin, he has made it possible for us to live a holy life. You see, now we... Can you stop clicking your pen, please? Thank you. Sorry, I don't know why it's really distracting me. But he, he says that we're now able to resist the sinful desires of our flesh because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Uh, I don't know if you guys were with us uh, probably maybe a little over a month ago when we did, actually it was well over a month ago, maybe like two months ago, but on Wednesday nights we went through the Holy Spirit, right? We talked all about the Holy Spirit. I don't know if any of you were here for that, but one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit His job is to make you holy moment by moment, decision by decision. You are being made more holy, more into the image of Jesus. This is what's called sanctification in the Bible. 
So the Holy Spirit has that role in our lives. And if it weren't for the Holy Spirit within us, we would have no chance of actually resisting sin. We would have no chance of being made more like Jesus. But we do have the Holy Spirit within us. We can say no to our sinful desires that are always looking to satisfy themselves. He has given us the ability to say no through the Holy Spirit. You see, the world, the world is all about victimhood. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but the world loves to play the victim. But we as Christians cannot play the victim when it comes to temptation and our sin. You see, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within us have made a way to where we are not victims of sin. We can say no. And this is important for you to understand. You see, temptation is going to come your way probably not even like a couple hours after you leave this place. There's going to be a temptation for you to sin in some way, shape, or form after you leave church today. Um, if not tomorrow, you know, it'll, it'll happen soon enough. And what we need to understand is God has given us the ability to say, no, I'm not going to fall into that temptation. Rather than I'm saying fall into temptation, what we should say is I'm not going to jump into that temptation. Because we don't accidentally give into temptation. We always do it intentionally. But what I want to look at with you guys now is the second part of temptation that James teaches us about, which is point B, the progression of temptation. If you're taking notes, jot that down. The progression of temptation, and we can turn back in our Bibles to James 1, if you were in Romans 7 just a moment ago, go back to James 1 and look with me at verse 15. Here in verse 15, we see the progression of temptation. He says in verse 15, he says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Notice the words that James is using here in verse 15. Do these words sound somewhat familiar to you in terms of like they, they relate to something that you and I can relate to? Let me help you pick up what I'm putting down. He says, conceived. He says, birth, full grown, death. What does that sound like? Sounds like the human life, right? Your life began at conception, and then you were born, and then you are in the process of fully growing. Some of you are already fully grown, I'm convinced, because you're taller than me, and <laughs> but not many of you, but some of you are. You're, you're big kids. Uh, but, and then there is, obviously, everybody dies, right? It's the progression of a human life, and James relates what he's talking about with temptation to the human life. So think about it like this. He says, you know, it all starts with the desire. And where does the desire come from? Does it come from God? Come on. No, it doesn't, right? Where does it come from? It comes from? It comes from within us, within our sinful nature. And that desire comes from our sinful flesh, which is looking for that opportunity to satisfy itself. And then there comes a point when that desire is actually given into. Or, or I should say, even before that, there comes this point, uh, you could call this like the conception phase, where that desire is given attention. It's like the desire that wants to go after that which is sinful is now you're giving it attention. Now you're, the, the idea is you're, you're coming up with a plan on how you can satisfy this desire. And then there comes a point when the desire is birthed. And this is the point where it is actually acted upon. So the plan has been formulated and now the action has happened. You thought the thought or you did the deed, whatever it may be, the action was performed. And that is the full grown idea. And then finally, the sin becomes full grown and leads to death. This is the terrible progression of sin that we need, to, we need to make sure we understand it because the reason why it's so pivotal for us to understand this, you guys, is because once we let desire 
progress anything further from desire, we're, do we're doomed to giving into the sin at that point. We've already chose. We already made our choice. But what we can do is when the sinful desire within us seeks to be tempted by this or that, what can we do? We can say no then and there, and we don't have to go through this progression of sin. We can stop at the desire. You get what I'm saying? Yes? Come on, give me some head nods. Thank you. <laughs> so we don't have to give in to our sinful desires that look for these things to satisfy themselves. But I want to ask you guys, and we should, uh, this is, we're going to spend a moment here answering these questions, but ask you a couple questions. How do we resist temptation and not give in to our desires? Practically speaking, what do we do? How do we not give in to temptation? Because not giving in to temptation is actually very difficult. It's very difficult. You have things that tempt you and more often than not, it's like this is a diving board and the pool is sin and I just do like a belly flop right in there, right? That's the idea of what we normally do, but it's possible to say, no, I'm not going to jump into this pool of sin, but how do we do that? What do we do when we are tempted? We're going to answer these questions right now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 um, I'm constantly exhorting you guys to memorize verses when I teach, and this is one that I would uh, do the same. I would encourage you to not, maybe not necessarily word for word, but at least understand what this verse is talking about here, because this helps answer our question of what do we do when we're tempted. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Look to the screen. It's up there for you. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, listen here, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So when we are tempted, you guys, when our sinful desires are looking for ways to fulfill themselves, God says in his word that there is always a way of escape. There is always a way out to where you don't have to jump off the diving board. You can look for the way of escape. How many of you guys are familiar with the, uh, the movie Finding Nemo? You guys remember that scene in Finding Nemo? Uh, where Marlon and Dory are being, I think the, the sharks are after him, if I'm not mistaken. And they're in the, uh, I think it's like a submarine or something like that. And they're trapped and they're looking for a way out. You guys tracking with me? You remember that scene? And they're looking and Marlon's like, where's the escape? Where's the escape? And then Dory is like, you know, Dory's that character that's not very smart. Um, and she's like looking around and she's reading the door and she's like, escape. Do you guys remember that? And she says escape, and really it says escape. But it's funny because early on in my Christian walk, in my, my struggle with temptation, I memorized this verse, and the way that I remember what to do when I'm tempted is, you know what I remember? I remember, where is that escape? I'm dead serious. This comes to my mind. And it, though it's silly, it has helped me because it's like, I'm, you know, there's the temptation and then I remember there is always an escape for me. Where is the escape? I'll stop saying escape. I'll start saying escape. But you get the idea, right? With every temptation that we find ourselves in, there is always a way of escape. Otherwise, if you don't think there's a way of escape, you're like, you know, Tate, you don't understand like just this temptation I deal with, there really is no escape. What you're saying, if you say that, is you're actually calling God a liar because he says that with every temptation, there is a way of escape. Let's say you're hanging around a, a group of friends and they're just having this disgusting conversation about this or that and you're there and uh, you're, you're tempted to, well, you shouldn't even be listening to the conversation, but say you're tempted to start participating in the conversation. What can you do? Where's the way of escape? You leave. You go sit by yourself if you have to. You go leave that circle of friends and you get out of there before you sin. There is always a way of escape. 
Escape. <laughs> but let me be clear on something, you guys. If we're trying to simply just like muster up enough strength within us to just say no to temptation and we're doing it all on our own strength and ability, if we're just trying really, really hard to say no, I want you to understand that's actually not good enough. If all you're doing is trying really hard to say no, you will eventually jump back into sin. Because the Bible says in Galatians 5, 16, this is a very short verse, but one of the most important verses as we talk about temptation, it says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Right? We're talking about temptation. We're talking about how do we not fulfill the lusts of the flesh? Do we just, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give in to this temptation. I mean, you should say no. You should fight to say no. But what is the answer? The ultimate answer, you guys, is walking in the Spirit. Because when we walk in the Spirit, the byproduct of that, what happens naturally, is we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5, it goes on to talk about how the Spirit and the flesh, they are contrary to each other. They, they don't want the other one to prevail. The Spirit doesn't want the flesh to prevail, and our sinful flesh within us doesn't want the Spirit within us to prevail. And we need to make it our aim to walk in the Spirit because when we do walk in the Spirit, the flesh will not have its lust fulfilled. I love the way Jerry Bridges in that same book I referenced earlier identifies the concept of walking in the Spirit. You know, that's a very Christianese type term that we use all the time in the church. Like, and we even pray it like every day or, or we hopefully pray it every day. Lord, may I walk in the Spirit today. What are we even talking about? I love the way Jerry Bridges puts it. He says, to walk in the spirit is to live both in obedience to and dependence on the Holy Spirit. That's such a simple way of understanding what walking in the spirit is. And I love it. Just obeying the spirit moment by moment and depending on him moment by moment for all things, especially our walks with Jesus as we pursue holiness. You see, it's possible that we could get so caught up on not fulfilling the lust of the flesh that we are not walking in the spirit. And this is what I did for years in my life in junior high and into high school. I was so focused on not fulfilling the lusts of my sinful flesh that I wasn't even walking in the spirit. You guys get what I'm saying? You see the difference? Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Practically speaking, walking in the spirit, you guys, is like we are keeping our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. When we're tempted, you guys, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. Christina, can we go to the next slide? Thank you. Turning, you, you see, when we're tempted, we need to turn our, our eyes away from that which is tempting us and turn it unto who? Turn it unto Jesus. Turn it unto the Lord. I, uh, I'm going to introduce you guys to a friend of mine. Uh, let's go to the next slide. This is my dog, Willow. Mine and my wife's dog, Willow. She is the best. She is such a great dog. Uh, we love her very much. But Willow, from the very young stages of being a puppy... Uh, you know how like when you give a dog a treat, you'll you know, make them wait a second, you know, teaching them obedience and to listen to you. You'll put the treat in front of them like that treat right there is. Um, and then you make them wait. Look at what Willow does when I give her a treat, but don't tell her it's okay to get it yet. Go to the next slide, please. Okay, Willow. Wait. No. She's the best. Such an obedient and great puppy. And <laughs> let's go to the next one. So I want you guys, you're like, why is Tate showing a video of his dog during the sermon? Like, what is going on here? The idea is, you guys, and this is what I wish I would have learned earlier on, is 
Let's imagine that the tree represents the temptation and you are willow, right? For the sake of this example. Do you notice, did any of you notice when I put the tree in front of her, where was she looking? Right at me. She was looking, she was not looking at the tree. I think she looked at it for a half second when I initially put it down and then she looked at me. The idea is, you guys, is when whatever is tempting us is in front of us, trying to entice us, trying to get us to go after it, we must look to our master. We must look to Jesus who will give us the strength to resist the temptation by the Holy Spirit within us. Back to verse 12 in James 1, you guys, our final point today, which we did verse, uh, we looked at verse 13 through 15. Our final point is back in verse 12, actually, which is the reward for enduring temptation. The reward for enduring temptation. Verse 12 reads, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, you guys, when we make it through a trial or we resist a temptation and we do not sin against God, but rather we say no to the temptation, we say no to our sinful desires, we can be assured that we will be blessed. There is a blessing waiting for us on the other side. Now, when you, some of you hear that and you're like, oh, that means that if I resist temptation or if I go through this trial and do a good job, like I'm going to get a PS5 at the end of it. No, <laughs> I mean, maybe there's a small chance that you might just get blessed with a PS5, but I don't think that's really at all possible or will happen. But what I'm saying, you guys, is when you make it through a trial, when you say no to the temptation and resist, guess what happened? You became a little bit more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit sanctified you and made you closer into the image of Christ, which is our, our chief goal as we, as we live this life is to represent Jesus and to become like him. And James, he says that if you resist temptation, you will be blessed. And he goes on to say that there's this unique reward, actually, only mentioned twice in the Bible, that there will be given to you a crown of life if you endure temptation. And that is promised by God towards those who love him. And it's the same crown of life that Jesus promised to the church in Smyrna, who was going through various trials um, in Revelation chapter 2 in the letters to the seven churches. When Jesus says, he says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So you guys, we can be assured that if we endure trials and temptations, it's not going to be easy. It's not an easy thing to say no to temptation. It is possible to say no. And we do so by walking in the spirit. But when we do say no, it is so rewarding. And in verse 16, you guys, we're not going to jump into what verse 16 through 18 says, but um, James, he kind of goes on to talk about just the goodness of God and what it means to walk um, as his first fruits. But he says in verse 16, he says, do not be deceived. And that's our exhortation today is to not be deceived into thinking that temptation comes from God, but to be reminded that it comes from our sinful selves. But God hasn't left us hopeless to just squirm and struggle in our own uh, pool of, of quicksand type, you know, like sin where we're just, we're just barely keeping our head afloat. Rather, he's given us his Holy Spirit that we can walk in holiness. It's called the Holy Spirit for a reason, because he makes you holy moment by moment, day by day. And so some takeaways I want to give you guys, and we could just stay on this slide, uh, but some final kind of remarks for you to walk away with. If you're taking notes, you know, I recommend you jot these couple things down, even though you might have already written them in some capacity. But when it comes to temptation, you guys, again, we recognize that where does it come from? It comes from within us. It comes from within our sinful desires. Our tendency is to want to point the finger at God and say, God, why are you tempting me with this? It's a highly unbiblical thing to even say or pray. Gentlemen. And then also, we recognize that when we are tempted, you guys, it's our sinful desires that are drawing us away. Remember the idea of that fishing lure going after that? 
And we recognize that God has called us to resist temptation and has given us the ability to do so. He hasn't called us to do something that's impossible. He's called us to do something that he has made possible by the Holy Spirit of God. And we remember that there is a reward for enduring temptation, for enduring trials, the crown of life, and just overall blessing. Let's pray. Lord, we, we lay our hearts before you right now, God, and Lord, we, our, our desire, Lord, is that we would walk holy. Lord, you have commanded us in your word to be holy as you are holy. Jesus, we want to be like you. God, we're so thankful that Jesus, in your, in your time here on earth, when you lived a perfect life, Lord, you didn't live this, this perfect life in the sense of you experienced no temptation, but rather you lived a life where you did experience the temptations that we face. And yet, because you are holy, because you are perfect, you never sinned once. And for this reason, Lord, we know that we can come boldly to you in our time of need, pleading with you for your help, Lord, and you will give it. Lord, I pray for these students here right now. We're, no doubt, we're each facing temptations on a regular basis, myself included. God, would you help us to have that fear of you, Lord, that healthy reverence for who you are? God, would you help us to walk in the Spirit, Lord? May we not walk out of this place today just having a desire to just say no and, you know, only do that, but rather, Lord, Lord, even in that, that goofy illustration of Willow, Lord, looking un, unto me, Lord, may, may it be like that with us, Lord. When the temptations come our way, Lord, would you help us to look to you? Because you will give us the strength and ability to say no and to resist. God, we want to we be holy before you. We want our lives to be pleasing unto you. God, would you, would you just help us to put these things into practice, Lord? We're not interested in being hearers of the word. God, we want to be doers. Because you say those who do the word are the ones that are blessed. May we do these things and apply them as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I just want to offer to you guys, if, you know, if any of you are struggling, or I don't even necessarily need to say struggling, but you're just temptation's been really difficult for you, we are always available. We, we're in the, in the back right now as we sing this last song, after service on Wednesdays, next Sunday, whenever it may be, we're here for you. We know what it's like. We're, we're, we're humans too. Like we have our struggles. And if we can help you in any way, shape, or form, that's, that's what we're here to do. So just know that. Let's worship in this last song.